Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the final Reasonable Doubt podcast of the season. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt on Discovery ID. I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. I'm Detective Chris Anderson, a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right, so this is our final episode of the season, and we have to bring in our secret weapon. Our secret weapon, our co-executive producer... And part of the inner circle and family here, Desma Simon. Hey there, everyone. All right, so Desma, um, Desma, we don't usually actually start this uh, podcast with the actual case, and we're going to keep up with that tradition. Um, I'm going to go around. I'm going to start with you, Desma. Uh, the lockdown. One doesn't bother you at all. Ten. You're going crazy. You want out of the house. Where are you at? Oh, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I enjoy this time being at home with my family, working from home. I I look forward to it every day. I wish so, I could continue. So what's your so what's your number? Oh, so one is like, like I, total I, agreement or yeah, yeah. One is an agreement. I absolutely want. Like one plus. All right, Fatima, this nice. time I don't want you to give a nuanced, complicated answer. Just give me <laughs> one number. But I, 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 it is complicated. My oh, at night it's everywhere. an eight. In the morning it's nine. I mean, just give me a number. In the morning it's awful. I want to kill everyone <laughs> in the morning no matter what. Um, do, do I go crazy some days? Absolutely. But I don't know if that's like being locked down or being locked down with a kid or, <laughs> you know, having to like, I don't, I don't know. Thank you for sapping all the fun out of this question. Um, Chris, where are you at? <laughs> but yeah, so today I'm I'm at about a, a five. I'm usually uh, okay with whatever happens. But, you know, today I could have just stayed home and just laid down and, you know, right. enjoy well, my, my, my time alone. Sorry, Rob. Not everybody feels like you. Not everybody's like, I got out and ran 11 miles sick. today. I, I, and then I walked to the store, which is 15 yeah. miles. 
Wait, no, he got on his Pelton bike. Wait, he's the one who's complaining. Wait, out of all of us, like he's complaining the most about being on lockdown, but he's not even staying close. I was like, I was like, hey Rob, can we do the podcast tomorrow? I'm socially. No, I got plans tomorrow. Who has plans tomorrow? Where do you have plans? Rob Rosenberg plans. I plan six feet apart. I social distance. Nobody told you that you had to be a hermit and stay in a closet. All right, so right now, um, not that anybody asked, but I'll ask myself, where are you at? Um, I am at a, I'm at a 7.5. I'm done. Uh, You're at a 10. Nah, you know. Look, I want to I wanna travel again. I want to tell these stories. I know that we can't do it yet, but I'm ready. I'm anxious. I think, um, you know, I like, uh, I think people like being around people. And I, I know it's a long ways off, but I'll really, really, really be excited the next time I can go to a concert or a sporting event. And uh Hopefully that's sooner rather than later. All right. Our last case, Roosevelt Blue Miles. This is a really interesting, um, I think pretty complicated and emotional case. And um, before we start to talk about the case, I just want to give you guys a little bit of background. November 16th, 1992, 2.45 in the morning, Chicago's West Side. 16-year-old Tony Brandon walks out of an apartment building with his 15-year-old girlfriend, Octavius. A man jumps out from behind a tree, fires twice, and then runs off, leaving Tony Brandon dead. Although nothing is taken, police are convinced it's a robbery gone bad. Weeks later, they arrest a low-level drug dealer named Roosevelt Blue Miles. For the next three years, Roosevelt sits in jail awaiting trial. Finally, in early 1996, he gets his day in court. Prosecutors have no physical evidence, just a couple of witnesses, and that proves to be enough. Roosevelt Miles is convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 60 years in prison. All right, so I I wanted to start off with the plea. Um, To me, Sharon, the sister, had that look of someone who just had been disappointed too many times and didn't want to be disappointed again. I felt like she was very guarded, a little bit wary. Tanya seemed more open and a little more raw with it. I mean, did you guys feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. They, um, you know, you can you can feel it. You could, you could feel it. I, I think that because she had been disappointed, not only by the case, but by Roosevelt himself also, that, uh, you know, she, she just, you know, Maybe she didn't realize, you know, what we were there to do. Uh, but his wife, I mean, she was very open and very honest about everything that she felt about the case, even though she was not the, she was not there at, during the time of the murder. You know, she didn't know that Roosevelt, but, you know, she did seem to be much more open than her, her sister-in-law. Yeah, she was, uh, she was like the strong older sister that um, she, you could tell she was very protective over him. So although, you know, she would admit that he had his downfalls, it was like she wasn't going to have anybody there, uh, you know, saying anything about her brother that you know, she already knew it all and she believed in his innocence. She was almost intimidating, um, you know, because you're like, gosh, I don't want to bring this woman back bad news. Um, but Tanya was uh, at first, you know, it's hard. I've We've had a few of these. Um, you know, it's a little hard for me to relate to 
a woman who marries someone when they're behind bars and, and stands by their side. You know, it's something that I personally can't relate to. I know a lot of women get involved that way. Um, but I, I, I really grew to, to love Tanya and her honesty, her openness, her vulnerabilities, and also just saying, hey, yeah, I see that. I know how this could look to somebody else, but here's why I believe what I believe. Um, and I appreciated that about her. She was very strong and, and held her ground as to what she believed, but also she was very hopeful and she just had so much faith and I loved that. So Desma is really our, our secret weapon here. We really couldn't produce the show without Desma, and I know you guys agree. And Desma really spends a lot of time and nurtures a relationship with uh, a lot of the loved ones. Um, did you have a similar experience? I know you didn't work with them as closely as some of the other ones this season, but from your experience with them? Yeah. Um, you know, Tanya, uh, his, uh, his wife, you know, I, just like Fatima, um, for me, it's a little hard for when I get introduced to loved ones to wrap my head around why would someone put their all in their their life on hold for someone in prison and they didn't even know them before then, um, before the incarceration. So, um, but I will say that Tanya was just so open and so honest um, with with uh, all of the details, and then really just getting really good insight from his sister too. Um, that, you know, this is someone that we should really take a chance on. This case really came down to two witnesses. One of them uh, was a 15-year-old named Octavius, a girl who was walking out of that apartment building with the, um, with the victim. And she changes her statement a lot, but by the time she gets to court and to the trial, she's IDing Roosevelt, and she'll later recant. Chris, when someone like that keeps changing and wavering, as an investigator, at what point do you just toss it out and say, I, I just can't trust what this person's saying to me anymore? I, I tend to want to believe what the person says initially. I think we've said that on several episodes of Reasonable Doubt. I, I like to go along with what they say initially because that's the time when there's really no incentive you know, to, to lie. At the very at the very onset of that case, so I, I tend to want to believe what they say at the beginning. And if you're asking at what point that you just toss out what they're saying is when they can't answer all of your your questions. That's when you start to toss out what they're saying. And Fatima, when you've got as a defense attorney, if you're in trial and you've got someone who's been changing their story quite a bit, and we've we've had a few of these this season. Um, I take it that you just attack, attack, attack the credibility, right? The changing statements. Absolutely. Um, I mean, especially in a scenario where that's the only evidence that that's being presented. All they have is uh, eyewitness testimony and one consistently recants. I mean, this is somebody who the very first time that, you know, this suspect is brought over to her, Roosevelt, she says, no, that's not him. Um, yeah, some people can say that out of fear. Um, regardless, the reasons, though, her her statements keep changing. So that's 1992 when it happened. He gets arrested, and then um, he doesn't go to trial till 96. And throughout those years that he's waiting to go to trial, she is recanting. So she's saying, no, I go back to the first time. I never, you know, I, I didn't get a good look at him. That's not him. Uh, but somehow, by the time 1996 rolls around, she is fully prepped for trial to say, yes, that's the guy. 
So absolutely yeah. you attack that because if that's all there is against him, that is absolutely unreliable. And it takes me back to, you know, another main eyewitness case we had, um, Michael Crump, where we had a similar issue. This is the person, it's this identification that is going to put him behind bars. You better know that first time who you saw, because if you said, no, that's not him the very first day, like Chris says, we, I think that is the time to be trusted the most, especially when you continuously recant. It's one thing to say, no, I don't know who that is. And then later say, look, I was afraid. And you stand your ground for the next 20 years. That's not what we're looking at. Octavia said no that night. By 1996, she says that's the guy. And by 2018, she's signing an affidavit for the defense team saying, I lied. And if I'm correct, that that first uh, lineup was a show up lineup. Am I correct? Which the means li- show up lineup is is initially for within a few minutes or within less than an hour after the crime happens, police take a person into custody. They do a show up lineup where is they take that one person, uh, maybe stand them in front of the witness and let that witness look at that person uh, from the back seat of a police car or something to that effect and say whether or not that's the person that's responsible for that crime. That's when she said, no, that's not him. Right, so a show up lineup is not a six pack. It's not a lineup where there are six other people. That is the time where this person is standing alone, middle of the night, 45 minutes within, within less than an hour after the crime happened. And she says, no, that's not him. And then she comes back when there's, you know, there's a lineup in, in place and she says, OK, yes, that is him. No, I have a serious problem with that now because, you know, uh, a show up is look, that's do or die right there. If a person tells me during a show up lineup that that's not the person, that's not the person. I've never heard of a show up lineup. So yeah, I, thought there was one, I always thought there was just one type of lineup. They bring you in and there's well there shouldn't be the show lineup because it's unnecessarily suggestive and you know there's issues with that but when it works in favor of the the defense like it did Mm -hmm. here that's that's questionable so the other witness was really uh a bizarre situation it was a prostitute who was sitting in a car 100 feet away it was very dark on that street and she said that she never saw roosevelt's face she was only identifying him because she knew him around the neighborhood by the way that he moved so Chris, you did a test. Um, can you describe a little bit what you did? And because uh, I thought that was a really good one, and what mm-hmm. that showed. Yeah. So um, the the test that we did was we took uh, three young men. Well, we had a, a person posing as a witness to the crime, um, and we took two young men that this witness did not know, and a person that she brought along with her, somebody that she was very familiar with, and we had them uh, almost recreate the type of crime that would have had to have taken place the night that this victim was shot. Uh, we put the her friend in a random spot in each one of the lineups and we ran the scenario. I think we did it uh, six to eight times, I wanna say it was. I think we, we did ran it eight it. times. Yeah. It was eight times. She didn't have any uh, a warning of when it was about to happen. She was just sitting in her vehicle. When it happened, she looked at the person and she was able to say whether or not it was her friend. And she was very, very accurate that night. It wasn't surprising to me. I mean, you should, you would be able to, to identify a friend. You know, it, it just was interesting to me because when we got the lead, it seemed like there was no way that someone could be identified without a clear look at their face. Mm, right? Without right. A, you know, so it was interesting to see in a test 
that even if it's by voice or just by movements, you that yeah. that you could do it. Um, so one of the leads was that Roosevelt had a rock solid alibi, that there was a friend of his named Michael Hooker who could uh, clearly state that right after the shots rang out, uh, he had seen Blue and Blue was not near the crime scene. So it was a lot of struggle, but uh, Fatima, <laughs> you managed, you managed <laughs> to find Michael Hooker. Wait, like walking the streets of Chicago <laughs> looking for Michael Hooker. Are you Michael? Can I have a quick conversation with you? Yeah. Well, you and found him. Well, we you found, found him. him. Now, I'm going to play a clip from your interview with him. I'd like to get your response. And I know as a defense attorney, maybe you're going to put a good spin on it. But I have to I say, like, <laughs> I, I have to say, I don't think that his story really held up well. And it felt to me like you were kind of walking him through it. But let me play the clip. Tell me what you remember about that night that Tony Brandon was murdered. It's been a while. But you do remember seeing Blue that night? Yes. Where do you remember seeing him? He was right here at this building right Is that here. building right there? Yes. We was all together. And that Blue left. Blue left? Yeah. OK. And we heard a couple of bullets fired off. You know, we didn't think nothing of it. Where were you when the gunshots went yeah, off? Are you outside right here or are you in a car? In the car. You hear some gunshots? Yes. You don't even get scared? No. Yeah, Everyday thing here. Exactly. Okay. Now, at some point, do you see Blue again? When the gunshots rang, Blue was coming out of the apartment. Did you guys talk? Yeah, I, he's, he's ready to go on. Since Blue wasn't with you, is it possible that he was the shooter? At no time he can go around there to shoot anybody. When the shooting went off, he was coming out the building. Blue came out, what, 20 seconds? So you don't think it's possible oh, that no he was way, a shooter? No, no way. It wasn't yeah. even a minute, like 20 seconds. It's hard because I try to gauge too, right? A person's credibility, let's let's be honest. Let's let's take it subjectively as this is what most jurors do when someone takes the stand, you know, and then when they're looking at a witness and someone who's testifying on behalf of someone, they're looking at how you're dressed, how you speak, what your lifestyle was, what you were doing that night. So all I can say is if if Michael Hooker was my witness um, for the defense. I would not, you know, I'd, I'd let my client know, hey, we may just want to prepare if a good deal comes our way. Because if that's our alibi, the truth is, and, and this is our system, and this is what's tough about it for me, because it's not that I don't believe him, it's that I'm afraid other people won't believe I, I, him. I, I would not have believed them. Exactly. Sure. And for me, uh, I, I get that. I mean, anybody- and you, who, let, and you let him, right? Fair enough, right? You, he didn't tell you the story. He didn't volunteer it. You had to walk him through. How are we talking though here, Rob? I mean, well, it's the same with what we had to deal with, with, um, you know, Michael Crump. The, but uh, but uh, the burden of proof's not on us to prove, we're not trying to prove that he's lying. I'm just saying it was offered to us as like, hey, this is his get out of jail free card. We have a rock solid alibi. So it's on him to prove that he can provide that. And absolutely. Provide and that. we've come mm -hmm. across this issue many times on the episodes when years are in between. Sometimes people get things a little wrong. What are some consistencies is that from the start, I think um, Roosevelt early on had told people that he had seen Michael Hooker and that was an alibi. I, I mean, we can't hang our hat on Michael Hooker. Did I feel like he was um, telling me the truth? That that regardless of all the actual details that were a bit fuzzy, 
Um, you know, same with Russell Davis in, in, the, in the Ronnie Denny case. You know, there are details that are fuzzy because you're dealing with alcohol and drugs and everything else, but you can see a person's conviction and when they tell you something. And so for me, the conviction was there with Michael Hooker saying that night, he knew it was impossible for his friend to be the killer. And whether it was the timing he got wrong or however it happened, he just knew in his mind that when all that happened, his friend in his mind. Wasn't but but let me ask you, but let me ask you playing devil's advocate. I mean, is his, his conviction, his truth, as people like to say today, that he, uh, that his friend couldn't have done it. Is it really worth any more than a mom who's like, oh yeah, no, my, my son could never have slipped out. Cause it, to me, it feels like it's worth about that. Like, for example, his story didn't even match Roosevelt's. When Chris goes to the prison and interviews Roosevelt, Roosevelt tells a very different sequence of events that night. They don't even match up. So it just seemed like a good friend. Maybe he's telling the truth, but maybe he got mixed up about what the time is and maybe he just can't even provide an. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Alibi. I mean, anytime your alibi is a friend, a girlfriend or a family member, it's, it's unfortunate because those people are willing to lie for, you know, their, their loved ones. Well, I, I just want to say this is, um, that interview is actually an example of why <laughs> I appreciate that the decisions really come down to you and, uh, you and Chris and not from a producer's perspective, um, because me listening to Michael Hooker, I don't find him credible. I mean, I didn't hear the conviction. I didn't hear any of that. And so for you, Fatima, to be so patient and listen and dial into and use your expertise as a defense attorney to really hear that, um, you know, it really brings to light what, you know, the, the perspective of the show and the grounds that we work off. You know, um, you you can't dismiss anything in the homicide investigation. You just you just can't do that. So, uh, you know, witnesses and credibility. You know, there's we, we talk a lot about how you know Michael Hooker was. You know, he's he's a guy. He's a street guy. You know, and you can hear it in his and and how he he speaks and how he he interviewed with Fatima. And we talk about the prostitute that was in the vehicle. You know, look, I, I've solved a lot of cases on the word of a, a woman that was a prostitute or a, a man that had been out on the streets, you know, in any homicide investigation, you want a, a, a preacher and a, and a, and a, you know, a, a church goer and, and all of these saints of people to be witnesses. But unfortunately, when you talk about street crimes, that just doesn't happen. So you have to go with what you, what you have. And, uh, you know, sometimes you talk to the people that are, you know, would appear that are not 
you know, not the the the, the most uh, status holding people in our society. You, you, but you can't dismiss what they say. That's well, that a was huge a, mistake. And I, I, and I, and Chris, I just want to be clear on the question. I, I'm not asking it because of who Michael Hooker is, but because no, of no, what no. he's saying, right? So, like, in the same right. sense that Octavius had a story that changed and just go, went back and forth. And I was asking, do we dismiss it? You know, when you have someone like this, if you were able to talk to him, but he's getting timelines wrong and, and, and it, the story's a little bit mixed up, at some point as an investigator, do you say, you know what, I don't think this guy is, is worth anything one way or the other to this investigation? So um, I, I think that, you know, like I said, I don't think you dismiss what he says. You listen to what he says and then you confront him with the uh, with the inconsistencies in his statement and how he answers the questions of those inconsistencies is, is how you gauge the investigation or what he says. And so, you know, for him, the ongoing theme is I just feel like my friend, this guy I know couldn't have committed this crime. Does that mean it wasn't possible? No. So you had a great, uh, you had an interesting investigation. Uh, you went to see two more of Roosevelt's friends, uh, Mickey and Chris. And uh, let's just say it was a lively scene when uh, we all got to the house. And um, you oh, asked Lord. them if Roosevelt could have done it. And here was their response. So you hear that Blue's in jail for killing someone. And what's your initial thought? I said, no, that's not Blue. No way. He don't have the heart to kill nobody or stick nobody so no, up. No, he don't have that no. heart. According to the police, the shooter in this case says, stick him up, and then shoots the victim. They ain't gonna say no damn stick him up. That's from the 50s. Have That's you ever heard that, Mickey? There's no black person in the city of and Chicago gonna say it's a stick up. gonna say that. All right, so you have two more friends of Roosevelt who are basically saying he didn't have the heart of the killer and he couldn't have done it. But I think what was important that came out of it that seemed to be important in your guys' deliberations was that the prosecution made it seem like it was a robbery. That seems so implausible. 2.45 in the morning, a cold November night, sitting in the bushes just hoping someone's going to walk out in the middle of the night. Like, why would anybody think that? And it really appeared to be more of a gang hit. And, and it seemed like that was pretty critical to your guys' deliberations. Uh, absolutely for me. I mean, this case... That was a crucial, you know, piece of information. A, a robbery suspect would have stayed long enough to to do the deed, mm -hmm. get the money, and get out of there. And that's not what happened. Uh, you've gotten a, a a pretty in depth look at how it is to work street crimes. They're a completely different animal. You know, most of the cases that we've highlighted this this, this seasonal reasonable doubt has been domestic cases you know, where there is either a spouse or a relationship involving the suspect and the victim. So it's kind of like it's either or in cases like that, you know, either this happened or something else happened. But when you deal with street crimes, there is a lot that goes into it. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. They're usually not the best, uh, uh, the most easily accessible people. Usually uh, in street crimes, you have people, anyone, any, all of the witnesses that are involved in the case are all street people. So you have to get out in the streets and find those cases. And Fatima said something during our download that, is, I mean, it's, it's, it's true, but I think she, I think that the understanding that I have of it is different. You know, uh, uh, street crimes are some of, usually some of the sloppiest, it seems like the, some of the sloppier cases, but they're really not. You just don't have 
what what you have to go with what you have in street crime. If you have a prostitute, a drug dealer, and an ex ex convict and a drug head that are your witnesses, that's what you have. That's what you have to go with. So, you know, I I, I can't say that the cops did the best job of, in this case, but I mean that's that's how it is when you work street crime. Sometimes it's it's one of those cases, and I think this is a perfect example of it, that you you know, you barely scrape the surface of you scrape the surface of probable cause, you go what you got, and then you put it before a jury and let them make the decision on it. And sometimes they they, they, they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. And I, that's that's no explanation, that's no excuse. But I'm just saying that's how it is when you have street crimes that involve people that are on the streets. So Chris, you were able to see Roosevelt in prison, and I thought he was really a lot different uh, than a lot of the other convicts. He was relaxed. At one point, he he really like shared a laugh. I don't know that I've ever seen a convict laugh with you before. Um, but you guys mixed it up, especially when it came down to the question of whether or not Roosevelt had ever been in a gang. Was there ever a time that you joined a gang in Chicago? I wouldn't even call it a gang. What would you call it? Me and my buddies, we protected the neighborhood. Okay. You know, but we never went out gang banging in different neighborhoods. So what gang were you a part of? Vice Lords. Roosevelt, that's a gang. Yeah, I was not, don't get me wrong, but we never went out and gang banged. See, we was all, we call it organization. We cleaned up the neighborhoods. We did a lot. Now you understand? I, 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 no, I don't, but I'm not trying to be rude, but you can save me on all of that because I already know what gangs did in the 1980s and 90s. I've talked to people who will try to con you into believing that they're this new person and then there's something that will happen or something that I'll say that will trigger that old person, that that the one that's truly within you. My, my mentor used to say all the time that whatever whatever's in you will eventually come up and come out. And that's what I was doing during his interview because I saw how relaxed he was and how comfortable he was with me. So I wanted to see if I could push those buttons uh, to see if I could get this the the person that uh, the, the 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 prosecution said he was to come out. But I mean, I, 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 he he never he never showed that type of person when I talked to him. I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't get that this guy that we talked to was a absolute, he was the killer that he was made out to be in, um, in, in the, in the courtroom. I don't think that he's guilty of this crime. Of course, if, if I did, we, I don't think that we would have done what we did for them. So, um, Chris, let me ask yeah, you about this. I, when you, when you were in the one-on-one -on -one with him, you tried to give him an out. And he wasn't having it. I want to play that clip and tell me what that said to you about Roosevelt. That maybe you did do this. Maybe the Roosevelt of old, the Roosevelt that that you used to be did commit this murder. I was low on cash. I was in a downward spiral. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just listen to me. Just listen. I didn't want to do it, but I made him. I, mis I mistakenly shot this young man. Let me, we gonna stop all this. I can't tell them I done something I didn't do. Then I'm lying to them. I've been real to them. So if I tell them I done it, I'm lying. Mm -hmm. So I can't free their soul with a lie. Did you have anything to do with Tony Brandon's murder? No, nothing, nothing at all. I don't even know how the man look, nothing, nothing. I've never heard a Wait. convict tell you that, Chris. Mm. 
So yeah, I, I didn't get the the feeling that this guy was a cold blooded murderer. I I didn't get that. I, I mean, you know, uh, did he seem very credible when I talked to him? Absolutely, because I'm telling you, throughout that interview, I did everything I could to push his buttons, even though he was sitting back laughing and 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 seemed to be a very he was a very pleasant it was a very mm. pleasant conversation to have with with a uh, a person that's been convicted of a crime like that. But, uh, you know, the only time that he really, really got serious, it was when at the point that he was saying that he was innocent. What did and, it tell you, know, you about he, the fact that he wouldn't take her out? I mean, you try to give it to him and he wouldn't he wouldn't take it at all. He wouldn't even let you finish the scenario. Um, did, was that telling to you? I mean, it, it, it made me a little bit more comfortable in getting him some help. I, I'll be honest with that. Out of out of. The three seasons of this show, I've only seen twice when a convict actually cut Chris off <laughs> in the middle. The in the middle. So uh, Robert Jones, um, Haji in season mm -hmm. one, he had that really great moment where Chris is really just kind of hitting him hard out of, he was out of New York and uh, Chris was actually taking notes and he stopped and said, look at me. Like he demanded uh, yeah, yeah. Chris's That's attention. Right. While we're talking about Robert Jones, I think we should mention um, after that episode aired, he was freed. He is a free man now. And you guys got behind yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The deliberations for this one, was it tough? Like what, what was the key factor for you guys? I was on the side of guilty until the very last conversation that I had with, with uh, him. You know, I, I you know, this is this is a particular case that you know you could you could that could be some problems with it, and uh, you know I I know we were both you know kind of on the fence when we had our 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 conversation our download, but you know I, I was really on the side of guilt. But I mean, after after speaking with him, he you know he he kind of changed my mind. Guys, I know that. You know, when you're able to sit across the table from a from a loved one and tell them that you're getting behind the uh, the case, that that's that's really the best feeling. It's it's one of the things that really drives you guys uh, to do the show. So joining us is uh, Roosevelt's wife, Tanya. Tanya, hey, thanks for hey, coming Tanya. out. Hey, Tanya. Hey. hey. We should doing? we should add some applause in here. Yeah. yeah. Woohoo, Tanya. So fill us in, Tanya. What's uh, tell us what's uh, what's been happening since uh, since we met with you guys last summer. Well, things are still moving pretty slow. Um, his case is in the appellate court uh, appeals process. Um, with good time accumulated and uh, what our governor had given. <clears throat> um, his out date is July. The middle of July is uh, his anticipated out date at the latest. It will be July. Wow. Um, wow. Well, that doesn't why? sound like it's why? moving what? slow, Tanya. That, that's that, that's not slow. That's good news. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So you're saying that in two months, uh, Roosevelt. Yep should be coming home. And you started this conversation by saying things are moving slow. With the appeal. <laughs> as far as the case goes and the exoneration and things like that, that's still been going slow because 
um, when, when we, is the uh, hearing? Um, that's not a date yet. Mm. I'm like the state had to uh, respond and they got all the way like 12 days or something past their time. And then they asked for a two month extension and they were granted it. And so then after that, then their response, then our lawyer had the last response. And uh, so that's where it's at now. So how's Roosevelt holding up? How, how's he been? How's he been maintaining since we talked to him, or since I talked to him? He's he's okay. For a minute there, when they went on like a lockdown, first they were on a, a quarantine for the flu, and then that kind of slid into the coronavirus thing. So they've been locked down for months. Um, I think the last time I seen him was the 1st of March um, in person. And that was the last weekend they had visits. And um, for a minute there watching the news, he was worrying himself to death and getting into some anxiety and some uh, ulcer issues. Um, they slowly started letting them get phone time and then they allowed them to have free uh, video visits. So now that he's been able to have contact outside, um, he's gotten better. But how's he feeling knowing he could be home in July? He's excited. He's excited. He's still pushing for earlier, you know, trying to figure out what the governor might do. But um, I just tell him to stay into today. I, I just can't do more than today. How are you feeling knowing he might be home in a couple months? I'm excited. I mean, that's one day I'm really hopeful for. That's the first time something's been in stone, this whole process. So I'm trusting and believing on that. That's the one thing I do have in my heart. All right. Well, Tanya, we are really, really, even though it's not a full exoneration yet, we're excited. Uh, to know that maybe in a couple months you two are going to get to hold each other and he's going to walk through that door and I know um... <laughs> we're excited for you Tanya yes you are excited. a fighter for that man you are loyal dedicated so keep us posted on how things are when he comes home I sure will I already right. know the family's planning um, something big, like uh, letting everybody know, like maybe the first, second week in August to take vacations, and they're planning to come down and have a big old hoo-ha at a sister's house, because she's the one with the big backyard and all that stuff. Cool, just give us the address, because I know there'll be good food, so we'll be there. <laughs> we'll be. I'm cooking. All right. <laughs> all right, we're there. Tanya, awesome. thank you so much, and you'll be in our thoughts. Thank you, Tanya. Thank good you. luck. Bye-bye. Take care, Tanya. Good to see you. All right. Good to see you, too. All right. That wraps it up for this season of the Reasonable Doubt podcast, the season of Reasonable Doubt. And seriously, all of you guys, we joke around a lot, but you guys really are like family. So Fatima, Chris, Desma, in no particular order, you guys are family. And um, we have so many more stories to tell. So hopefully. TV gods are good to us, and we're, we're going to have a whole bunch of new investigations and another season coming up. 
Absolutely. I, I couldn't, I would actually say this, that I wouldn't want to be on this journey with anyone else, but you three, you guys oh, really, your, your heart, soul, and <laughs> your heart, soul, and dedication to, you know, finding the truth and really getting at the truth is content with a purpose. That seems to be my, my phrase. And this is, this show is that. All right. Well, you guys, you guys have so much passion and there's so many other people who are involved in the show who, if you've been listening to the podcast, you wouldn't know about, but there are just literally dozens of people who see this as a mission and they pour their heart and soul into it. And they really, they, they really are the people who make it happen. So thank you for supporting us. We really hope to be back for season four. In the meantime, my name is Rob Rosen, I'm the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt. And I am Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, and that's my kid. And I am a criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Everybody, uh, we, love we hope you. to talk to you soon. Love you guys. Stay safe. All right. Bye, guys. Take care, guys. Bye, Bye-bye. guys. Bye-bye. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9 on ID and stream on Max.